Hi, everyone. Hope you're doing well this morning. Um, for those of you who maybe came in late uh, or I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm the lead pastor. I'm so excited that you're here this morning. And uh, we are beginning a, a brand new series um, called This Is My uh, Family. And so we're very excited about this series. Uh, if you came in today, you received notes when you walked in. Um, if you're not a paper person, you can get online. Uh, and we have free Wi-Fi here. Uh, we also have an app for those of you who are Apple users. You can download that app and you can access those notes that way. I want to also um, welcome those uh, of you who are listening via our podcast. We have a growing uh, podcast audience. And so I want to encourage you, if you miss a message or a series, I want to encourage you to go to that podcast and uh, just keep up with us uh, via our podcast. I was introduced to a term, um, I'm sure it's a term that you know, uh, you've probably heard it uh, said before. It was many years ago that I first heard this term, but if I'm honest, I didn't really look into it until just in the last couple of years to find out what exactly it means. And the term that I heard years ago that I'm sure you're familiar, familiar with is the term nuclear family. Have any of you heard nuclear family? I'm like the only one that's heard this term. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, so nuclear family. Some of you are like, I feel sorry for the guy. I'm just going to raise my hand. Uh, so anyway, uh, nuclear family. Like when I first heard that, you know, it's like, what, is, what does that mean? Is it, you know, microwave? Like, you know, Chernobyl? Like, what is nuclear family? What does that mean? And so I actually looked in the dictionary, and this is actually a term in Webster and uh, Merriam-Webster. And here's, here's how it's defined. It's defined this way. A family group that consists of only a father, mother, and children. A family group that consists of only a father, mother, and children. And just like the video, uh, we, we kind of have a picture of what the nuclear family looked like from years ago. And then maybe that has changed over time, hasn't it? In fact, it's very interesting because this whole idea of the nuclear family, you know, mom, dad, and kids, it was really the centerpiece of all of society for most of humanity. And in fact, it's really only been the past 40 to 50 years that the nuclear family has begun to kind of fade away into the distance. And we don't see the nuclear family quite as much as we've seen in human history up until this point. So the whole idea of a nuclear family is becoming less and less of a positive thing in our culture, in our society. In fact, when you say nuclear family or when you talk about a family where it's the mom and dad and they've only had one marriage and there's you know, so many kids, one or more kids, um, it's almost unrecognizable. We don't recognize that anymore. It's almost becoming um, kind of the, uh, the exception rather than the rule, where for most of human history, it was the rule. Um, it's understandable that we don't recognize this anymore because divorce rates, as you may well know, for the past two or three decades have risen to the point where it's well over 50%. And so what that means is, is that in any given circumstance, even in a room like we're in today, that over half of you really don't know what a nuclear family is anymore. Over half of you are, have been in or maybe are in or have come from or are heading to a situation where you're not a nuclear family anymore as we've kind of described here today. Um, 
Think about it from this aspect. You know, all of culture kind of centered around the family for most of humanity. Church, government, um, education, media, the news, and that sort of thing. Think about it from the viewpoint of media, just media alone. Um, back in the 50s and 60s, we had Leave It to Beaver. How many of you know Leave It to Beaver? How many of you saw it when it first came out? No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to raise your hand on that. Okay, I'm sorry. That was mean. That was really mean. Okay, Leave It to Beaver, the Beave, Wally, Ward, and June. You remember that? Remember Eddie Haskell? Is that his name? Eddie Haskell. I loved Eddie Haskell. I saw it in reruns, okay? I'm just saying. I didn't see it when it first came out. It was 50s and 60s. But anyway, Leave It to Beaver had the picture. That was kind of the picture-perfect, like, nuclear family, wasn't it? white picket fence and the whole thing, and nothing really bad ever happened. I mean, they might have gotten into a little trouble here and there, but that was the picture of the nuclear family. And then you fast forward to the 70s, and you've got all in the family. Remember Archie Bunker? How many of you know Archie Bunker? Oh, man, he never said anything right, did he? I remember my dad used to watch Archie Bunker and laugh hysterically, but it was really interesting because that was during a period of time when we as a culture were kind of really facing the raw reality of where culture was going. And as much as we may not like Archie Bunker and we didn't like All in the Family, it was kind of a real reflection of what's going on. You know what today's reflection is in the 2010s, 2013? Modern Family, isn't it? Modern Family. And many of you kind of sympathize and maybe connect with Modern Family because you're in a family that resembles that much more than you're in a, uh, in a family that resembles the nuclear family as we just described. And so just like we saw on screen, you know, we have this romantic kind of image of maybe what we long for in a family Maybe what we want in a family or maybe what we know that maybe our parents want. But the reality is, is that our current circumstances in today's day and age almost never look like the nuclear family. Now, I want to say this as before we dive in, because we're, we're going to hit some issues head on in this series. You're going to hear from myself, you're going to hear from me and Cody, me and Cynthia, and then I've got a special guest coming up in a few weeks that you're going to hear from, and we're going to hit some very serious issues, and I want to approach them for the purpose of working through some of these things from God's Word and finding out what God's Word says about it. But I want you to hear this. Please hear me. If you don't hear anything else today, here's what I want you to hear. I will not, in this series, be derogatory towards any of you who are in a non-nuclear family. Do you hear me on that? I'm not going to denigrate or be derogatory about whatever your current circumstance is because there are some of you who are here today who didn't choose that circumstance. You didn't. It was forced upon you. There are some of you who are here today who may be in a current situation that's not exactly what God's best for us is or his design for us is, and maybe you participated to get to that point. I'm not going to denigrate that. There have been pastors and churches for years that have done that, and it's hypocrisy because in many cases, some of those churches have participated in that, and I'm not going to do that. But the other thing that I'm not going to do is I'm not going to shy away from what God's word says about family. And so here's my challenge to many of you that are out there. There might be some things that we say over the course of these next few weeks that's going to hurt, that may be raw. And you may look at us when we're done and go, our family doesn't look 
anything like you're talking about. In fact, it looks the complete opposite of what God's word says. Here's my challenge to you this morning. My challenge to you is to resist the temptation to become angry, to become bitter, frustrated, or guilty because your current circumstance doesn't look like God's design for you. My challenge to you is to do everything that you can within your current circumstance to realize God's design for you and your family. Are you with me this morning? That's where we're going to go over these next few weeks, and I think it's a cautionary thing that we ought to take as we head into this. For those of you who have a nuclear family, my encouragement to you is to stay strong, to do many of these things that we're going to talk about today, that put in place many of these things that we're going to talk about over these next six weeks to help you on that path. For some of you who aren't married yet, there will be a day when many of these things that we'll talk about will apply to you. You may think that day will never come. I believe it will. And so uh, just note that these things will be things that you can put in place from God's word into your marriage, into your family when God allows you to do that. Now, we have a lot to cover today, so we're going to dive right in. Take your notes. Take a look at your notes this morning. We're just going to dive right in because we've got a lot to cover. What does the Bible say? Today's message is completely foundational. We're going to search scripture and find out what it says about the family and about marriage but I want you to hear this. We can't cover it all. So we're just gonna cover two main aspects of this today in our time allowed. We're just gonna cover two things that I think are foundational for us in this series. What does the Bible say about family? First of all, God designed the family to begin with the covenant through marriage between one man and one woman. Yep, right out there up front, that's what God's word says. We can't hide behind anything else. As Martin Luther said, I stand on God's word and that's all that I can do. We're gonna stand on God's word with this and God's word says that he designed the family to begin with the covenant through marriage between one man and one woman. And as is the case often in uh, our messages, we don't have to go anywhere past the first book of the Bible to see this. We're gonna be taking a look at Genesis. You know, Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are just full of rich theology. It's full of rich um, understanding of what God's intent for humanity was. And we can even see in those particular passages, right up front, right out of the gates, we can see that God established the family as the centerpiece of all of society. Look at Genesis 2, 4 through 7, as we take a look at God creating man and woman. First of all, verse 4, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. That was about to happen, ask Noah. Okay, and there was no man to work the ground. And there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Men, we were designed for the purpose of working the land. Now, some of you are like, okay, wait a minute. I go to an office. How do I do that? Okay. Men were created for the purpose of work. Who was the first man that God created? What was his name? 
Adam. He created Adam because someone needed to work creation. Guys, God's intent for your life is to work. Some of you are like, yes. Some of you are like, oh man, I hate that. I can't believe he said that. God designed men for the purpose of working. That's what he did. If you go back and take a look at that from the very beginning, he designed Adam from dust. Yes, guys, we were created from dust, okay? He designed us for the purpose of working. He had a special and unique purpose for us, and it's to work. Take a look at Genesis 2, 18 through 25, just a little bit further down. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man, he shouldn't be alone. I will make him a helper. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave to all the livestock and the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused Adam, uh, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We'll come back to that verse, that portion of that verse in a minute. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Ladies, God created who in this instance? Eve. Created Adam from dust. He created Eve from the rib of Adam. You see, ladies, y'all are much more uniquely designed than men. God just took dust and made us, but he took a rib from another creature to create you, okay? So the next time your husband or boyfriend or whatever says you're not unique, you can say, yes, I am unique. And he's going to look at you and go, yeah, that means different, and I know you're different. God created women for a unique purpose. He created you uniquely. And look at what he said. He said that he created women to help. Now, hang on just a second. I understand what some of you are thinking, and I believe that the church has gotten this wrong for a long time. He created man to work the ground, and he created women to help the man. But if you take a look at the actual understanding of helper, it's very interesting because the word helper means someone who comes alongside and assists for the purpose of a mission. You assist for the purpose of a mission. You see, God created you ladies not to go get water for us guys, not to go make us coffee and clean our dishes. Sorry, men, it's true. He created you to help with a mission. That mission is so vitally important. We'll get to what that mission is in a moment. He didn't create you just to help the man. He created you with a mission to help the man with a mission. 
It's interesting, the word helper there in the old Hebrew actually was kind of taken into Greek, and it's a word parakletos or parakletos, and the word, that word was the word that was designated and given for the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, the helper. Some of you guys are like, yeah, my wife thinks she's the Holy Spirit in my life. She tells me everything to do. God created men to work, and he created women. I want you to hear this, ladies, to assist in a mission. Let's take a look at what that mission is in a few moments. He created us to help. It's interesting because as he created us, there was a particular emphasis on unity. I don't know if you noticed it there. In Genesis 2, that last verse that we took a look at, it says this. Therefore, verse 24, uh, chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. There's a sense of leaving what is behind and becoming one flesh. The two become one. I want you to say that with me. Two become one. That's God's design for marriage. Two separate people becoming one. More on that next week. Jesus echoed it. Take a look at this. Jesus echoed that particular aspect of unity in marriage in Matthew 19, verse 4 through 6. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and, be, and hold fast to his wife. And the two, say it with me again, the two shall become one flesh. God created marriage where two people, man and woman, come together to become one. And he ends by saying, so they are no longer two flesh, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. You see, there's a oneness that God desires and that he designed for our marriages. There's a oneness that he wants us to come together and to become one. In his eyes, those of you who are married in here, you are one. In his eyes, you are one. Two becoming one. In a covenant. What does that word covenant mean? Well, it's interesting. If you take a look at all the Old Testament, anytime the Old Testament, especially the prophets, speak about marriage, they speak about it in a metaphor. The metaphor is, is that marriage was a metaphor with God's relationship with mankind and vice versa. It's very interesting how that happens over and over again in the Old Testament. Let me give you an example. In Malachi, Malachi 2, 14 and 15, this prophet says this. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. There's that word covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring? So guard yourself in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Malachi was speaking about the relationship that Israel at the time had with God, that they had been unfaithful to God, but God, please don't miss this, God had an everlasting covenant with Israel, and he does with us, with mankind. He is absolutely true to his promise. That is how God designed marriage to be. That is his best for marriage, is in a covenant relationship where both parties are coming to, coming together to become one with a covenant that can't be broken. An absolute, outstanding 
We are together, and we are not going to be torn apart. That's what God's design was. That was what his best is for marriage, and it's what he does for us. There's a picture of the relationship with him there. It's not just a relationship. It's not just a partnership. It's not just an agreement. It's not just a friendship. When a man and a woman come together, God's design for them is that they come together in a covenant with both parties agreeing never to break that covenant. So God designed the family unit to begin with marriage between one woman and one man forever for a covenant. But why did God design marriage? Four points really quick here. God designed marriage, first of all, to bring glory to himself. God designed marriage to bring glory to himself. The Apostle Paul speaks of this, I believe, in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. He says, so whatever you drink or eat or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And that includes your relationship with your spouse, husbands, and wives. And so the question that I have for you today is, does your marriage reflect the glory of God? Does your marriage bring him glory? I have to admit to you, and Cynthia would agree with me on this, I'm pretty sure she would, that there have been times when our marriage brought glory to God, absolutely. There have been times when it did. But there have been times when it just did not bring glory to God. There have been times when our marriage did not bring glory to God. And what a great question to ask when you're going through those struggles, husbands and wives. Is my marriage bringing glory to God? Is it bringing him glory? We should operate within our marriage so that we bring glory to God. Secondly, why does marriage exist? Secondly, to provide companionship. God designed marriage to provide us companionship. I was uh, talking with a friend one day and I made a statement that men get into trouble when the women are gone. And he said, well, if you look back in Genesis, the man got into trouble when the woman showed up. <laughs> I don't agree with him, okay? But anyway, men get into trouble when ladies are gone and vice versa sometimes. We were created to be in community with each other. It's what we talked about these past few weeks, that we were created to be in fellowship with other believers, but that begins within the marriage. It begins with one man and one woman being there for companionship. My grandmother died in um, 2007, and much to our surprise, my grandfather, who just died in May, at 90 years old, remarried. Everybody was shocked that he remarried because he wanted to be left alone for the rest of his life. Oh, he went to that nursing home and he found a good woman, a sweetheart of a lady who's still living. And he married her at 90 years old and she was 91. She's still living to this day. And you know what he said to all of us? He said, I just want someone to be my companion in these later days of life. God created the marriage union to provide com uh, companionship Number three, he created the marriage union as the environment to raise a family. Now, um, Genesis 1.18 says this, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. I want you to hear this though. This isn't just um, the children that maybe you have together with uh, you know, a man and a woman biologically. Some of you have adopted children. Some of you grandparents find yourself in the position of raising a child at, a different time in your life that maybe you didn't expect. This relates to you as well. 
A marriage is an environment to raise a family. Part of the purpose was to do that, and we'll get to what the mission is and the purpose of that in just a moment. Lastly, God designed marriage not only to bring glory to himself, not also to provide companionship, not also to be the environment to raise a family, but also so that we can enjoy sexual intimacy. Yes, I just went there. In church on a Sunday morning. There it is. <laughs> Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth. And the first century church at Corinth was a mess in terms of terrible sexual sins. And he's speaking to the church in Corinth. And I want you to read this from the message because I love the way the message says this. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 7, 2 through 5. He says this, it's good for a man to have a wife, uh-huh, and it is good for a woman to have a husband. Yep. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them. Don't you love the way that's said? Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and to provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. Folks, we live in a world of sexual disorder. We'll be hitting that pretty strongly in week three. The marriage relationship is where that is supposed to exist, according to God. That's God's best. That's God's design. He created marriage to bring glory to himself, to provide companionship, to raise a family, and to enjoy sexual intimacy. It's interesting, many years ago, I, I saw this illustration. I want to share it with you today because I think it'll help some of you understand this whole idea of the marriage relationship. It's a very simple illustration. It's a triangle. The marriage relationship consists of three parts. It's the husband and it's the wife and it's the spirit of God as we just read about in Malachi. It's the husband and it's the wife and it's the spirit of God. And here's the interesting thing. Husbands and wives, if you're struggling in your marriage today, part of the reason may be that you're struggling in your relationship with Jesus Christ. It may be that you've allowed your relationship with him to kind of drift, as we've talked about these past few weeks. When a husband is growing closer in his relationship with God, and when a wife is growing closer in her relationship with God, look what happens. They grow closer together. That's what a marriage should look like. That's what God designed a marriage to be like. And so when we individually grow in our relationship with God Almighty, then all of a sudden we come closer and closer to each other. And I want you to notice something about this. Do you notice there's nothing else involved? It's God and it's the two of us. There's no kids in this model. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, sweet. There's no sporting events in this model. Sorry, guys. I'm a big sports guy, but it's not. There's not relationship with friends. There's not even relationship with family. Some of you are struggling to separate, to have that separation that the Bible talks about. I was there. I understand that. A relationship between a husband and wife, God's design is, is it's you and it's her or him and God. And if you can keep that model in mind, you will have success in your relationship. What of this mission, though? Take a look at point number two. God designed the family to be the place where faith in God is fully expressed. God designed the family to be the place 
where faith in God is fully expressed. You've heard Cody say before here on stage, our student pastor, that the church is not the place where we're going to fix your children. You can't drop your student off here on a Sunday night and all of a sudden he walks out of those doors completely different. There may be moments, in fact, we had some God moments Wednesday night, did we not, Cody? We had some amazing things happen, but we can't fix your children. This isn't a car wash, moms and dads. They don't come in dirty on one side and leave clean. You know where the place to have an expression of faith is? You know where it starts? It's in your home. It's at the dinner table. It's in the car when you're driving and when you're traveling. It's when you go on trips looking for opportunities to talk about God. That's the beginning of the faith expression. Deuteronomy speaks to this. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Take a look at this with me as we close. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You teach them diligently to who? Your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them in the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And I know because I have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old, this is easier said than done, isn't it, mom and dad? I mean, the six-year-old boy, he's, he's, his attention span is a lot like mine. It's not very long. And so we'll be talking about a God thing, and all of a sudden, the Atlanta Falcons will come up. You know, I mean, it's just like, you know, squirrel, squirrel. <laughs> it's not easy, is it? And then our, our insecurity comes in. Well, I'm, I'm struggling in my relationship with God, so I can't possibly teach them. That's what I struggle with as your pastor. I'm admitting that. Hey, I'm struggling right now. How can I lead my family? But you know what I found out? If I give in to that insecurity, then I don't even try. And I want you to hear something. Parents, moms and dads, future parents, those of you who are in the role of parents, it's better to try to lead a faith conversation than it is to not do it at all. Some of you may be struggling because you feel like you don't know much about the Bible. Go to starting point. There's an orientation this Tuesday night. Check mark that off on that life group form. Be a part of that. Learn more so that you're confident with your family. I want to admit to you today that this is the area that I personally struggle with the most. And I've been through Bible college, essentially at Liberty University, and I'm going through seminary, and I still struggle with this. And you know, I've been convicted over the course of these last few months and years since we've had children is that it's my responsibility not to be perfect in this area. It's my responsibility to try, to try. We as a church, Abby's gonna talk in a few minutes, our new Island Kid Director, she's gonna talk in a few minutes about how we will help resource you. But it begins in the home. And it's the mom's responsibility and it's the dad's responsibility on mission together creating an environment where there can be an expression of faith. Now, I realize that there are some of you who are in here today and you're like, Todd, everything you've just described does not even apply to me. You should see my family tree. It's crazy. 
what I've come from, the situation I'm currently in, it is nothing like it. I've been through three or four marriages. My, my, my you know, kids are all over the place. Maybe you've come from that environment. Here's what I want to tell you today. I understand that there may not be a balance between God's design and your current situation. I realize that there may not be a balance there, but you know what balances that out? Here's the best part. Here's the good news of the Bible, all summed up in one statement. You don't have to balance that. God does. God, when he sent Jesus to die on the cross, will give you the grace to be able to deal in whatever current circumstance that you are facing. And whether you're a child or a student that has come from a non-nuclear family or you find yourself in it today, I want you to hear this. God's grace will cover you in this. Yeah, there are those of you who look like that picture-perfect biblical view of a family, and you need to keep on working on that. But there are many of you who are here today that I know that you're either heading for, you're heading for a non-nuclear family, like you're going to be in it in weeks or maybe months. And then there are some of you who are just absolutely right in the middle of it. God's grace will see you through. The bottom line this morning, in God's design for the family, we must learn to live in the light of God's grace. It's his grace that provides the balance between his plan and our life circumstance. The question is, is, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? God's grace can cover you in whatever circumstance you're facing right now. Yeah, God's design is a mom and a dad and children, but whatever circumstance you're in today, his grace can cover you. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. I want you to hear that again. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you need to write that down. My grace, God's grace is sufficient for you. And then he goes on and he says, God's power is made perfect in my weakness. So whatever weakness you're facing today in regard to your family or your marriage or your lack thereof or whatever circumstance it looks like, God's grace can cover you. Father God, thank you for your word. I thank you, thankful that you were clear on what the family group is, God. But the reality is, is that we all can say, hey, this is my family, whatever it looks like, God. And I pray for those who are in here today, single moms, single dads, soon-to-be single moms and single dads, those who maybe came from broken homes, I mean, really messed up homes, God. Those who may be heading for disaster, they may be nuclear now, but they're a few weeks away or maybe a decision or two away from not looking like that at all. God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would give them grace. God, I pray that they would be reminded that your power is made perfect in their weakness. And God, to the ability that they can, I pray that they would absolutely try to create in their family an environment where faith can be expressed. God, whether it's the family that looks like 
the perfect model of what you intended or the one that's furthest away from it. God, I pray that you would give us the grace and the strength and the ability to try our best to create that in our family, whatever that may look like. Give us the grace and the power to do that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.